I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Calibre, and this is our Investing on the Go podcast. Firstly, Happy New Year to all our listeners, and uh, let's hope we can have a slightly more positive year. I'm delighted to be joined today by Gary Kirk, who is one of the co-managers on the 24 Dynamic Bond Fund. Um, this is a fund which we've followed since Fund Calibre's launch, and I think it's particularly interesting that 24 just do fixed income. Uh, they're a multi-channel fixed income business, but that's what they do. That's what they're good at, and they stick to it. And I actually applaud applaud that. So thanks, Gary. Thanks for taking the time to um, talk to us today. When we think of bonds, there's always two things. There's, there's credit and there's duration, i.e. interest rate sensitivity. Let's start with credit. I mean, what a year 2020 was. How does you know that risk of lending to companies and governments look at the moment? Or are there any minefields or areas to avoid? Uh, um, happy New Year to you as well, uh, Darius. Good to be here. Um, yeah, it is the um, the multi billion dollar question. Um, I, I don't think ever in uh, in my in my working lifetime, and most people who's listening to this in their working lifetime, have we seen um, a cycle that's actually moved with the momentum that we've actually had. Um, over the course of the last 12 years, over the last 12 months, sorry, <laughs> a cycle normally yeah. like 10 years. Um, but literally, we have gone from late cycle at the beginning of 2020 into a full-blooded recession, um, you know, with the catalyst we all know about. And, um, and we have rapidly um, gone into the recovery phase of that cycle and um, to the point where we're actually now seeing uh, corporate credits testing historical types over what has yeah. been a very, very short period of time. Um, and that obviously raises questions and um, does raise concerns with some investors, quite rightly so. Um, have we moved too quickly? Um, you know, and is there a question mark, I guess, over the, the very um, solvency of some of these corporates that have been supported in the markets? Um, and I, I guess you have to look at three three things in, in credit, really, um, where we are at the moment. You have to look at the level of uh, the actual level of the debt, the the volume of debt, and um, and I guess the amount of support from investors. You know how much is that pent up demand, that investor demand for for income, and uh, you know we all look at fixed income market um, for. Um, what is yield and uh, an income for you know for, for you know for investment portfolios, um, and then on the corporate side, I mean, just looking at Moody's data, uh, gross issuance in 2020, um, 5.4 trillion. That's up 22 yeah. percent on the previous year. So in terms of absolute volume, you know, it's eye-wateringly large. Um, albeit 90 percent of that, or approximately 90 percent, was actually an investment grade. But there is there is a buyer on the other side of that trade, though, isn't there? Um, there is a, in the the buyer of last resort. Absolutely, there is the buyer of last resort, and that was going to be obviously you know my uh, the caveat to that large number is, but we've never had such a large investor or investors, um, you know, sort of taking the other side of that particular trade, and therefore you can understand why corporates have issued into that backdrop um, because. Rates have been driven lower, you know, of course, because of the, uh, you know, the, the stimulus packages that we've seen and the support mechanisms from central banks. And, uh, and, it, and it's not surprising to see banks and corporates front loading their, um, their issuance needs. 
So I would expect, and I think if you speak to the main um, investment banks um, that are out there in, uh, in, in our space, they all sort of expect that the issuance in 2021 will be lower than it has been in 2020. So in terms of the, the net interest charge, the burden that has on borrowers, that's obviously lower because, you know, historically rates are as low as they've, as they've ever been in there. If you, if you listen to the, um, the rhetoric from central bankers, then rates are going to remain low for a prolonged period of time. You know, they've all said, you know, be it the Bank of England, the ECB, the Fed, have all said that they're prepared to let economies run hot whilst leaving rates unchanged, meaning that they're going to see inflation go beyond the sort of uh, the, the 2% uh, sort of, you know, level um, for a prolonged period of time before they even begin to sort of consider adjusting, adjusting rates. So I think in terms of the timing for corporates to actually refinance or to, you know, sort of, you know, re- restructure their, their financing needs. Um, I think we've got time on our hands. Certainly with rates remaining low for a prolonged period of time, that means that investors are going to be forced into credit. Um, it's the only place that they can actually yeah. um, find any yield. Um, so therefore, I think that the the concerns that we are testing historical tights in terms of credit spread um, I can understand it, but I think that we are going to not just test those historical tights. I think over the course of the next year, we're going to go through them um, yeah. because fundamentally <clears throat> and technically, um, the support is there. So um, I would like to come back to inflation. Um, but as we're on opportunity set, let, let's talk about where you see the value and where you can get some income for, for income investors in the fixed income market, which geographies or which sectors I know because I have to when we do these things I have a little look at the fact sheet and you've got a decent weight in both Europe and financials um, where, where are you seeing best you know re- return opportunities as we sit here today yeah I mean your first question then on inflation um, you know do we see inflation um, you know picking up yes we, we ultimately inflation will come through I mean we've we've had an unprecedented level of stimulus um, and an unprecedented sort of level of central bank, um, you know, keeping rates anchored at or through zero. So um, that over the course of time, you would expect to see um, the, the, the pent up demand and, and the build up of inflation gradually building. But I think we're some way off. I think that the market will move in anticipation of inflation before inflation actually embeds itself into the system. And and I think that we need to see a number of key fundamentals improve before inflation does become a real concern for the central bankers. So, so maybe not 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 your case base case then that there's, it's, inflation is a worry on a what a twelve month view, but exactly. at a period sometime yeah. after that when you'll need to protect us from those rising, potential rising rates. Yeah, no, you know, I'm not saying that inflation isn't going to happen, but I think we need to see some fundamental um, changes first of all. Look, at it. it needs to come from the consumer. Now, the consumer has increased their savings. We know that. There's pent-up demand. I'm sure, you know, all of us have been sort of, you know, locked down. We haven't been going on our annual holidays like we did. We haven't been out going to eating in restaurants. There's pent-up demand there. So, you know, you can see that that will actually feed into inflation eventually. But just 
taking it really back down to the, the, the very, very basics, just look at the non-farm payroll. You know, it was the classic monthly data that we get on unemployment in the States. Yeah. You know, unless you've got full employment, you know, that, that is going to be a drag on inflation. Less people earning money means that there's going to be less price inflation in the system. 2008, 2009, you know, the last time we had a, a serious, serious economic shock, 2008, I think the job destruction in the United States was about three and a half million people. In 2009, it moved up to about five and a half million people. So in combination, about nine million. 2020, job destruction, nine million people. So actually, yeah. in combination, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much like we were back in 2009. That took inflation some time to sort of, you know, to begin to build up again. And I think that whilst we, we, we can't ignore the inflationary impact, I think that it is not going to be a 2021 issue. It's going to be a 2022 issue at the earliest. Um, and but as you rightly said, some of the central banks are loosen their focus on the inflation target as opposed to looking at the overall well-being of an economy, taking that into account and not having to raise rates at the first sniff of a, a very positive inflation month or quarter. Absolutely. They'll, they'll, let this, they'll let the economy run hot for a period of time before they start to get uh, concerned and then start to adjust the base rates. So I, I think inflation is something that the market will um, sort of actually focus on before the reality. And we're seeing that already in the, in the Treasury curve. I mean, I wrote a blog this morning, funnily enough, you know, hot off the press, um, just going to be released this afternoon, uh, talking about, you know, the, the, the steepness of the curve. Um, it's the first, the twos, tens is a classic, I'm an old fashioned trader, you know, twos, tens is a classic shape of the yield curve you would look at the long end of, of a year. That's the two year, two year treasury and the 10 year treasury. That's the, the yield of the two year treasury versus the 10 year yield of the, of the yeah. 10 year treasury. And that, that gives you the, sh the, the steepness of a curve. Today was the first day since 2017 that it actually went um, over 100 basis points. So the curve is steepening. And just for those that are not rates traders amongst this, um, you know, for the listeners here, um, the short end is typically driven by base rates, by central yeah. policy. And the longer end of the curve is typically driven by the perception of inflation. So as the perception of inflation increases, the, the steepness of the curve, it gets steeper. And so we're right. beginning to see the first little concerns of that happening. And of course, this has been driven by the election in the US. The Democrats have come into power. They've now got control of the Senate and the market's putting two and two together and saying there's going to be more stimulus, which is going to be more long-term inflationary. And then so, why we've seen the steepening of the yield curve. So that's something that we need to consider, but I'm not going to get too concerned about it quite yet. So where are you putting our money to work today then? What, 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 what areas are interesting to you? Geographies, governments, EM debt? What, so, what are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, you know, we are definitely in transition. We're, we're in a recovery phase of the, of the credit markets. We've seen that. I mean, that's been helped, obviously, by all the stimulus packages. That's going to continue. That's, we've already seen that... Um, you know, the, uh, the ECB had their sort of, um, at, at the tail end of last year, had the, the, the pandemic emergency purchase program, the PEP for, you know, which yep. is shortened to. Um, you know, that's now, you know, up to a, a, around the 1.85 trillion mark. And the US stimulus package is obviously, you know, it's going to be going through the Senate over the next 100 days or so. So that support in the general, in the general marketplace is going to continue. 
And as we've already said, you know, base rates are going to be kept low by the central banks. They're going to remain unchanged, anchored close to zero. So that gives you a very, very good back position for credit. And right. even though credit spreads do look tight, um, you know, I think that where those, where those um, corporates are focused purely on the credit spread and not sensitive to, um, to interest rates, because as we said, um, you know, there's, a, there's this inflation bubbling under the center, under the surface. Rates are unlikely to go any lower. Therefore, only likely yields on government bonds are only likely to creep higher. They're not likely to sort of, you know, significantly go lower here. Therefore, you want to be avoiding um, duration at this point in time, focus on credit spread. And, um, and, and I think at this point where we are in the recovery phase in the cycle, you really want to be embracing more pro-cyclical names um, than you would do otherwise. And, um, and that brings me around perfectly to where you say the opportunities. Um, I think that those corporate credits, um, particularly on the, the more pro-cyclical ones, are around the, um, around the crossover type rating. So the ones that are just below investment grade, you know, the, the strong... Right. Double B's. So, so let, let's just then for our audience, just crossover is that area just below where it goes from investment grade into high yield. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So it, it's where the, the default rate is, uh, is, is historically uh, fairly slim. So there's not, not you yeah. know, most of the default rates actually sort of take place in uh, sort of single B minus, you know, unsecureds and triple C's. This is typically, the crossover is typically seen as, as a, a double B to double B minus type entity. They're normally more liquid. It's an index, a crossover index will contain the most actively traded names just below investment grade. Right, okay. For the better term. And I think that this is probably the sweet spot for the market um, because they're less sensitive. They trade on a price, not on a spread. Less sensitive right. to duration. And they're going to be supported by the measures that we have discussed already. So I think that that's a, that's a sweet spot for the market. Um, and one way that you can actually um, obtain a collective group of those types of names is in the CLO market, the European ABS market, or CLOs in particular, collateralized loan obligations, for want of a better term. Um, I don't know why they use all these terminology, but um, that's one area where we do see um, some opportunities. And the other opportunity, um, which always raises an eyebrow, but um, we think more justification at this point in time in, in terms of relative value than any other has, is the um, subordinated banking sector. Yes, right. it's, yes. What it's, does that mean? What does subordinated banking mean? What does that mean to our listeners? Sub, subordinated banks is that um, when you look at the, 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 the capital of a bank, this is the lowest point in the, um, the lowest the capital structure in the capital structure um, that is just above equity. So equity, you get you get extra yield for that though, don't you, Gary? Well, you get it. You get extra. There's there's pros and cons. I mean, a, an equity holder obviously has a right to vote on the actual, the very um, sort of um, how a bank actually operates. The key elements that sort of dictate how the bank operates. You know, if you're an equity holder, you've got a right to vote on that. You know, you can vote the directors in and out, etc. A bondholder doesn't have that. But in terms of the subordinated bonds, they are typically, or they, or they will offer you a better yield and a better spread than the, um, than the senior bondholders. So you are taking more of a risk. So if a bank does go into default, 
than the subordinated bondholders um, take, take a capital loss before the senior bondholders. But we believe that you are being rewarded for it for a number of good reasons. Um, that's, the, that's the main issue is it's, you, you understand the risk you're taking for that extra reward. And, and clearly at this stage of the cycle, you, you, you think that's a good trade. I, I think it's a very good trade. Now, you know, I, I don't invest in equity um, from, from this fund, but from a personal point, you know, I, there's nothing to stop me from actually investing in equities. I would not be investing in the equity of a bank at the moment, but I am certainly investing in the subordinated banks. And there's a very good reason. A lot of people will say, oh, the, the, the most deeply subordinated bank bonds are at risk like equity. Well, they're not. There's a big, strong differentiator between the equity and the subordinated bank now. Subordinated bank coupons are effectively are being paid and the regulator yeah. wants those to be paid. The regulators have actively um, curtailed banks from paying dividends. And Yes, this is that contractual income versus discretionary income and dividends obviously are discretionary and exactly. payments on coupons are contractual. Well, they are. And the AT1s, the language there is a little bit um, more equity-like, but the regulator right. has actually given very strong indications over the last year that they want the AT1 coupons to be paid where they can, to the point where even when the capital goes below certain thresholds that in the past were concerns, the regulator's happy to look through that um, at this point in time during this, during this crisis period, whereas they've guided banks to refrain from any dividend payments until at least September 2021. And even when they are turned back on, there are very strict covenants about the level of um, capital that a bank has to hold in order to be able to pay that dividend. So yeah. we think that equity income from a, from a bank uh, sort of equity is, is, not, is, is not encouraging at the moment. So therefore, the subordinated bank debt is the one area where you can get attractive uh, income for the risk you're taking. And another function or feature, I would say, of the dynamic bond fund, um, but also a feature of 24 asset management, which is your speciality in something called asset-backed securities. Yeah. Would you give, um, give me a one or two minutes uh, intro to what an asset-backed security is and, and why they're nice to have in a multi-strategy bond fund such as yours? Yeah, I mean, it's the asset-backed securities is, is a strange mnemonic that has been sort of adopted by the financial industry. It just means asset-backed securities, and it can it covers a multitude of uh, of products. So you can have income streams from credit cards, you can have income streams from uh, car loans, you can have income streams from um, household mortgages, commercial mortgages and also from leverage loans, from those corporates that are sub-investment grade, you know, the loans. So anything that has an income stream, you can collectively put it into... Pull it together, trial, don't you? Pull it together and then issue bonds dependent on the amount of credit enhancement each tranche has above or below it. And we like... Here I'm just talking about European ABS. There are yeah. legal and structural differences between US and European. Here we are only really... Um, active in the Europeans for good legal reasons, which I won't go on to here, but there are reasons why we prefer that particular uh, geographical region. The CLOs, which we do like, is just a way of having a collective exposure to corporate loans. 
And once again, um, I think we're fortunate at 24 that we have probably one of the uh, most highly regarded asset-backed security teams looking at these. There is a, there's definitely a complexity premium um, in terms of the spread for having, um, for investing in this particular type of product. But once you have the know-how and you have the internal um, sort of stress test models to actually analyze these products, you quickly begin to realize that like all these things, you know, there are good ones and there are bad ones. And the good ones, you are being very, very well rewarded for investing in these um, when you have the, the time and the expertise to do the due diligence to feel comfortable with the investment. And to give you an example, um, a classic, a typical double B rated um, CLO, which is a collateralized loan obligation type ABS, the ones that we prefer, European one, you can, you can easily find these in the market um, at about 600 basis points over um, LIBOR. So uh, about 600 basis points, 6%. Yeah. Yield. Compare that to a current double B European high yield borrower, um, which you'd be lucky if you can get more than two and a half percent at the moment. So the spread differential, if you're prepared to do the due diligence and have the, the skill set in order to analyze them, is quite significant um, in an in a environment like we find ourselves where yield is becoming an ever scarce commodity. So it's one area where I think that when you're, um, you know, our team live and breathe it every single day um, of every week, and they understand where the pockets of liquidity are. Um, they're very comfortable with the due diligence of the actual independent sort of CLO managers. And we've also, I think the other thing about CLOs and ABS in general is that they lend themselves very, very well to quantitative analysis. So you can, yeah. your ongoing due diligence, your ongoing um, sort of monitoring um, is that much better than a, a typical high yield that maybe um, you only get sort of an annual or a biannual sort of release um, from from the company when you can analyze the balance sheet. Here, you can probably look at them, most of them, on a monthly or quarterly basis in detail. So it's an area we do like, yeah. Gary, thank you very much for taking us um, through the world of fixed income and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about asset back because I know I know it's an area of speciality for the firm, but also a bit of a differentiator in the 24 Dynamic Bond Fund because you do have that within your firm that, that you can add an allocation into that part of fixed income. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. If you'd like more information on the 24 Dynamic Bond Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening.